Well, if you take your copy of God's Word and turn to Psalm 79, Psalm 79, uh, it's, a, it's a great uh, message that um, it's in that song. We're thinking about we working through uh, the, the book of Revelation on Sunday morning. And what is often not there uh, in, in the text is what God does in the midst of trials. What you see often in the letters to the churches is how the churches are being tried and how they're being tested. And we know from elsewhere in Scripture, Romans chapter 5, First uh, Peter uh, 1, James chapter 1, that God uses these trials in our life to purify us. To, to make us like gold, to help us become more like Christ. So when we think about the circumstances of our life and the trials and the testing that God allows us to, to face, I, I pray that you, you realize that um, it is for ultimately our good, that we can become like Christ. Uh, and just uh, now that John and Jamie are gone, one of the reasons why we have a ministry like Outpost that is aggressively pursuing high school students is that we can have more John Whitakers. We can have more, more Jamies. I mean, you think about John Whitaker coming to Christ at 14, uh, and, you know, it's kind of like a slow bake investment, right? You know, 14 years old, he's standing before us today as, as a 24-year-old, and you heard him preach last week and just did an absolutely ph- phenomenal job. Well, that's because he was, he was reached intentionally uh, by Casey going to the high school, developing a relationship, and we're trying to uh, repeat that process again and again and again to raise up godly men and women to serve Christ church. So praise God for that. Uh, Well, I'm going to read all of Psalm 79, uh, offer a brief prayer, and then we will dive in the text. Uh, Psalm 79, a psalm of Asaph. O God, the nations have come into your inheritance. They have defiled your holy temple. They have laid Jerusalem in ruins. They have given the bodies of your servants to the birds of the heavens for food the flesh of your faithful to the beasts of the earth. They have poured out their blood like water all around Jerusalem, and there was no one to bury them. We have become a taunt to our neighbors, mocked and derided by those around us. How long, O Lord, will you be angry forever? Will your jealousy burn like fire? Pour out your anger on the nations that do not know you and on the kingdoms that do not call upon your name. For they have devoured Jacob and laid waste his habitation. Do not remember against us our former iniquities. Let your compassion come speedily to meet us, for we are brought very low. Help us, O God of our salvation, for the glory of your name. Deliver us and atone for our sins for your namesake. Why should the nations say, Where is their God? Let the avenging of the outpoured blood of your servants be known among the nations before our eyes. Let the groans of the prisoners come before you. According to your great power, preserve those doomed to die. Return sevenfold into the lap of our neighbors, the taunts with which they have taunted you, O Lord. But we, your people, the sheep, of your pasture. We'll give thanks to you forever. From generation to generation, we will recount your praise. Father, bless the hearing and preaching of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. I've entitled this message, Distressful Waiting, uh, as we see the, the people of Israel in a period of distress and waiting for God to act. The first thing we see is, is distress. What is the stress that is that is happening. We don't know a specific time, 
Uh, most scholars think that this is right after uh, the sacking of Jerusalem uh, when Babylon came and destroyed um, Israel. This is uh, Kings uh, 24 and 25 kind of show this prophecy of what's going to happen. And it's interesting how you determine which, which, which event this is related to determines how you read this. Because when you think about the judgment that God is, is talking about through the psalm, uh, the psalmist believes that this is divine judgment, that God has brought them in this situation, that God has, has allowed these things uh, to happen. Look at the first part. It says, Oh God, the nations have come into your inheritance. They have defiled your holy temple. Notice how he begins not with themselves, not with how they have responded to uh, the trials that God has thrust upon them, but what it is doing to the name of God, his temple and his, his inheritance. This is the land of Jerusalem, the, the place where God dwells. And he says, these nations who are against you, these nations who do not know you, have come in and defiled and destroyed your inheritance. They said they have laid Jerusalem in ruins. The Lord's inheritance, the Lord's temple, the Lord's city are destroyed. I think uh, we know that in, in the New Testament era that we are the church. We are the, the temple of the, Lord, uh, of the Lord. Jesus Christ was the, became the temple of God. He, he became um, uh, a man and dwelt among us, the Bible says. Literally, he tabernacled uh, among us, First John 1.14, showing us that Jesus was that temple. And then that temple is now uh, being made into... Um, but when Jesus ascended into heaven and sent the Holy Spirit, we are now living stones being made into a spiritual house. First Corinthians 3 says that we are the temple of God. And yet here there's a physical structure that is being destroyed. And I, th I think that we should just remember that those physical places are important in our lives. Uh, I don't know about you, but there's places in my life where I go and I have a different sense of peace a different sense of, of, of joy in certain places because of their impact in my life. So for here, for Jerusalem, although we may not be super attached to physical things as much as our, our, our Old Testament um, saints were, they were deeply attached to physical places. Right? Jerusalem was God's city, and the temple was the Lord's, and the temple was destroyed. It was laid to ruin. It would have been hard to watch happen. Look at verse 2. It's not only the Lord's city, temple, and inheritance. It's the Lord's servant themselves. It's God's people who are being destroyed. Verse 2. They have given the, the bodies of your servants to the birds of the heaven for food, the flesh of your faithful to the beasts of the earth. Now, I hope when you read this, this there, there's a longing here, and we'll get to that. There's this, 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 this pleading that God would act and move uh, in their lives. But just, just know that they understand, the psalmist Asaph here understands that what has happened to the people of God has been their own doing. That he, they, they realize, you'll get to this in a second, they realize, he realizes that the people of God, because of their sin, because of their idolatry and not worshiping the one true God, after repeated warning again and again and again, they brought this upon themselves. God warned them way back in Deuteronomy that this was going to happen. And yet here we see it again. But notice the graphic language. They have given the bodies of your servants to the birds of the heavens for food. The flesh of your faithful to the beasts of the earth. 
They have killed God's people and they fed them to the wild beast of the land. I, I don't think that we can understand how much pain God's people have gone throughout centuries. Even this morning, Antipas, the faithful witness of Jesus Christ, died for his faith. And as I said this morning, that is happening across the world, even today. Uh, if you want to read an article, um, a magazine, The Voice of Martyrs, kind of depicts stories of, of, of real Christians today who are dying for their faith. I was reading an article in preparation for this morning's uh, message uh, that was written in 2011, and it was written by a priest um, who was in Baghdad. And God called him to Baghdad to be, to be uh, an Anglican uh, priest there. Uh, and he says that what he sees in terms of the, tor- the turmoil uh, that the, the, the community of, uh, of Iraq, specifically ISIS even then, destroying God's people. Uh, the article I read, it says that just last week, um, the Muslims came into a church and killed 50 people. Just shot people down in, in the church. He said some were our staff people who worked with our church. And after he says this, he says, but we have joy in Christ. That we know that God has, has placed us here, that we are willing to die for our faith. Do you know that there's going to be some young people in our church, maybe some, some senior saints, but probably most likely some of our young people are going to go to the mission field and they're going to die for the Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel is fueled by the blood of martyrs. It is not a wasted life to give your life unto the Lord. And yet, the the psalmist here is seeing that, and his heart is breaking. His heart is breaking. Verse 3, They have poured out their blood like water all around Jerusalem, and there was no one to bury them. In this day, honoring the dead was a a very big deal. They wanted to... Um, actually, probably not in this day, but shortly thereafter, the, the caring for the dead was, a, was, a, um, was an important right uh, for people. And here this says there was no one to bury them. They were cast aside. And it says they, okay, now it says we, we, speaking of Israel, have become a taunt to our neighbors, mocked and derided by those around us. Again and again, people looked at the people of God and mocked them and derided them. Now, that, this is a trial. Okay? This is stress. Uh, this, this morning, I finished my sermon, uh, as many of you already know, at 826. I was tying, tying things up. I finished it up, and all of a sudden, John David goes, uh, Daddy, we need you outside. We have a plumbing problem. We have a plumbing problem outside? Johnny, come on. I'm working, I'm working on my sermon. Daddy, we need you outside. So I walk outside, and there's water shooting out uh, right in front of the house. A pipe had burst outside of our house, and water was just gushing everywhere, right? Uh, so I'm, at this point, I'm still in my pajamas. I, I try to, to run outside to, uh, to get the water off, go to, go to the front, try to get the shutoff valve. I could not turn it because I didn't have one of those giant things that turn, turn it off. And so I'm yelling, Ellen, call the water company, <laughs> Right? I go down there and I, I try to un, unscrew something else and I, I unscrewed the wrong thing and the water started bubbling up in the little hole where the, where the meter was and, 
It was right in the middle of an ant's bed, and ants started crawling all over me and giving me these giant welts, and I'm just trying to, to get the water off, and I'm thinking about my sermon on Sunday, and, and all, all, this, all this stuff going on. The water company comes out, they close off the water, and I had to go to somebody else's house and shower and get to church, and um, I walk in, and, and I see Joe Green, and Joe Green had that big old smile on his face and goes, hey, pastor, had some plumbing problems this morning? I go, yes, sir. He goes, well, isn't it great that there are there, that it's not nearly as bad as some people, that there are other people in the world who have a lot bigger problems than we do? And listen, I, at that point, I was still pretty stressed, right? <laughs> you know, like, I'm, just, I'm not myself. I'm not really ready to go. It's, it's, it's our first joint service of fellowship and park, and I want to be here on time. I'm hoping everything's going out well. And Joe just puts it in perspective and says, it could be a lot worse. You had a pipe burst in a home that you own, right? I had a, had a, had a, had a mother-in-law that lived a mile away that I was able to go to and shower in a nice hot shower, right? Here... We see the saints being destroyed and fed to animals. I just think that this is a reminder that, listen, we all have trials, right? We all have trials. And I don't want to minimize our trials here, but I think in reality, we can look at our trials in light of the reality of other people's trials and find comfort. You know, um, every time I talk to Dave Thomas, right, uh, Dave Thomas is having some heart issues and the pacemaker's not working full, at full percent, so he doesn't have as much energy as he once did. And, and I always I say, brother, how are you doing? He goes, I'm doing, you know. But he, then he always says, but I could be a lot worse off. There's a lot more people in this world that have a lot worse off than me. Just that, that steady reminder that our, our, our trials are stressful and real, but in comparison to others, they may not be that big. And what the evil one wants to do in your life is take that trial and wants to do what? He wants to make it like the biggest thing in the entire world. And what we need to do is we need to look at that problem in light of our big God. And we look at our big God in light of that, that problem becomes a lot smaller and smaller. And I think this is one of the helps of the Psalms. Here, they have become derided among the nations. The neighboring nations have mocked and derided them. This is a real stress. So whatever problem that we have, I don't want to minimize that. We all have real problems. Whatever real problem you have, the stress, this is one of the responses we see here in verse 5. Verse 5, the second part, the longing. How long, O Lord, will you be angry forever? Will your jealousy burn like fire? Now, I do think the psalmist believes that what they're they're dealing with is divine judgment. That God has has sent this to them to, to as Adam said, even to, to purify them, that they would become like gold, right? That they would be to be to, to move away from uh, idolatry and to worship the one true and living God. And yet, when you're in the middle of a trial, doesn't the trial seem like it's going to last forever? Now, when we get out of the trial, we look back and say, "Okay, God was with us. We were sustained. We didn't seem that long." But when you're in the midst of the trial, it feels intense. Uh, I used to uh, lift weights. I know. Uh, I used to be an athlete. And um, when, you, when, you're, when you're working out, and especially when you're squatting, right, you have 
um, you have these 450 pounds on your back, right? And you go down, right? And it feels like you're down there forever because you have all this weight, all this pressure on your back. And eventually, you eventually, you get up and you, you put the bar down and you're, and you're done. Well, sometimes trials feel like that weight is just crushing us, right? And that we can't get up. And we're moving inch by inch. And even though it, it only matters for that, for you lift, it's five seconds. It feels like a minute and a half. And we're in the midst of a trial. It may last for, for two or three or four weeks, but it feels like years of your life. And the, the psalmist calls out, How long, O Lord? How long? I think that is a fine prayer. When you're going through stress, you know that God is not going to give you more than you personally can handle. That he may give you more than you can handle on your own. Therefore, he makes you run to him in the midst of your trial. But I think it's a fine prayer to say, Lord, how long? How long will you let the wicked prosper? It's an often prayer of the Psalms. It says, will you be angry forever? Will your jealousy burn like fire? A couple things here. Um, Jealousy, let me just start with anger. Uh, When someone is angry with you, it it can be very difficult. I remember when I was in D.C., I had a friend. uh, He was one of my best friends in D.C. We were friends for a year and a half. Uh, One day he just sent me an email and says, I don't want to be your friend anymore. I think that you're only my friend because you want want me to become a Christian and I don't want anything to do with you. I I was undone. So for eight months he didn't talk to me. I tried to send him emails, so I tried to call, and he just wouldn't speak to me for eight months. It just feels like there's, 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 someone's angry with you and you can't do anything to fix it. It's just gripping. So just understand that the people of God here, just seeing the, the wicked prosper, destroying Jerusalem, God, will you be angry forever? Please, please, Lord. And then it says, will your jealousy burn like fire. Now we just know it is a good and right thing for God to be jealous for his namesake. The greatest thing in this life is God himself. And if, when God is a, being a jealous God, being uh, wanting us to have the greatest thing in this world, to have himself. And the reason why God sent his wrath upon Israel is because he was jealous for his own name. That the people of God who were called by his name were not worshiping him. They were bowing down to false gods. Look as, the, as it goes on, what this prayer is asking for. This, how long, O oh Lord? This is what he, at, the, the psalmist is asking of God. Pour out your anger on the nations that do not know you, on the kingdoms that do not call upon your name. Uh, these are, this is a prayer of indignation. Uh, this, God is ask, or the psalmist is asking God to bring down judgment upon a wicked nation. Now remember, what is this wicked nation doing? I mean, they're killing God's people and throwing them to to, to the animals, pouring their blood out into the streets. They are against the Lord, and and this psalmist is saying, God, pour out your wrath upon them. Bring them to justice. These are prayers that I have prayed against ISIS, against those who are uh, killing children in abortion clinics. God, they have just desecrated your image. In your power, come in might and destroy, so they would do it no longer. Why? For they have devoured Jacob and laid waste his 
habitation. Israel is destroyed. When you see Jacob or Israel, it's just the, the psalmist's way of explaining the people of God here. One and the same. Then he says this, do not remember against us our former iniquities. And here what I think he's saying, he's connecting the, the former sins of God's people and connecting that we are part of them. Do not hold us accountable any longer for the sins of our forefathers, our former iniquities. But let your compassion come speedily to meet us, for we are brought very low. Sometimes we feel that way, don't we? We feel like we have been brought low. And sometimes we're brought low because of the circumstances of living in a fallen world. Here, they have been brought low because of their own choices and their own sins. And it's gotten to a point where they can't handle it anymore. Not just the sins of our forefathers, but our sins as well. We see that in verse 9. The third point is the idea of the help. The help. Let's call out to God. Help us, O God of our salvation. I think that when we're in the midst of our trials, do we call out to God? It's a simple thing. But I think that most times when our life is going chaotic and we're dealing with trials, we try to fix it first on our own strength, on our own power, rather than calling out to God to help us. You are the God of our salvation. You are the God who, who freed us from Egypt. You are the God who has freed us from our, from our sin through Christ, through his death and his resurrection. God, you are powerful. You are the God of our salvation. Help us. Why? Look what it says here. Help us, O God of our salvation, for the reason, the glory of your name. Deliver us and atone for our sins for your namesake. This is a very God-centered prayer. It is not just help my life get better, help my circumstances improve. No, God for the glory of your name. So I say that sometimes God has put you in a circumstance for a very particular reason so that you can, can bear with it, you can struggle through it so that God would get glory um, in it. And I think sometimes when we are, are feeling the pressure of life, we say, God, change our circumstances. I can't deal with it anymore. Rather than saying, God, how do you want to use these circumstances for the glory of your name? How do you want to use my financial trouble for the glory of your name? How do you want to use my, my poor health for the glory of your name? How do you want to use my relational conflict for the glory of your name? And when we ask for deliverance, we will ask for deliverance for the name of Christ, for his sake. We see this right there. It's a powerful word when it says deliver us and atone for our sins. Now, in that day, that they had a sacrificial system, and that's how they atoned for, for sins. Uh, but we know through the, through the New Testament that uh, the sacrifice of blood and goats never atoned for sins. Uh, we needed a human sacrifice. We needed one to come and atone for our sins. That's exactly what the Lord Jesus Christ did. He came as a perfect man, a perfect human man, and died for humans' sin. He atoned. He made right. He, he was the, um, the one who was the substitute, Right? who died in our place. He was dead and buried, and God raised him from the dead. So now, what we have the privilege of doing is we have the, the privilege of testifying that we believe in the, the death, 
burial, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we do that through baptism. The public declaration of our faith is, is the waters of baptism. When we say, yes, we believe in the death of Christ. Yes, we believe that our sins have been atoned for. Yes, we believe that one day God is going to give us that hidden manna. And yes, God one day is going to give us that white stone that has his name written on us so that we can be whole and complete with a special intimate relationship with the Lord God himself. Because of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, we long for that day the sake of his name. Isn't it beautiful that even here, salvation is all about the Lord? <laughs> it's not about our ability to change our circumstances or our ability to do anything. No, it's about the Lord and his grace for his glory and his namesake. Verse 10, why should the nations say, where is your, their God? Let the avenging of the outpoured blood of your servants be known among the nations before our eyes. He's saying, listen, Lord, there is no reason why you should be defamed among the nations. Show up in power. Right? Let the nations see your glory. Let the nations see your, your power. I love how it ends. Just this trust. Last point, the trust that the psalmist has in God. Look at verses 11 through 13. This, this repeated plea. Let the groans of the prisoners come before you. According to your great power, preserve those doomed to die. There were those in prison, possibly Asaph himself. God, come in power. Come in your great power. Preserve those doomed to die. Hear the groans and the longings of your people. You know, sometimes if we don't think the Lord is hearing us, we can ask, Lord, hear us. <laughs> hear the prayers of your people. Now, we know from Psalm, 1, Psalm 34 the Bible says that God inclines his ear to the righteous, that if we are righteous and we are righteous in Christ, that God hears us. We know from 1 John 5 that if we pray anything according to God's will, he hears us. And if he hears us, we have what we ask for. God delights to answer the prayers of his people. He's a good and kind father. So what the psalmist is doing, and I think this happens in, in most psalms. There's this complaint, this crying out to God. And then at the end of the psalm, there's this humble trust that God is God, and we will just wait for his answer. Look at how it ends. One more plea. Return sevenfold into the lap of our neighbors the taunts with which they have taunted you, O Lord. And they taunted God's people. They've taunted the Lord himself. But I love how this ends. Verse 13. But we, your people, the sheep of your pasture, we belong to you, Lord. We're your people. We're your sheep. We will give thanks to you forever. Notice what, is this, what, is, what does it say? It doesn't say we will give thanks to you forever if you answer all our prayers. If you change our circumstances. No. We are your people. We are the sheep of your pasture. And we will give thanks forever. From generation to generation, we will recount your praise. This is a humble trust. It's not a demanding, Lord, do this or else. It's, Lord, please do this. Please, please, please do this for the sake of your name. And yet, if you don't, we will give thanks forever. We will 
recount your praise. Let me close with a great um, verse in Habakkuk. Uh, we went through the Minor Prophets uh, recently. And uh, when we're studying Habakkuk, I always got to try to find it because I never know where it's at. You too. Uh, this is great uh, verse in um, Habakkuk chapter 3. And uh, it says, 317, Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Basically, if life is utterly horrible because of our circumstances. Yet, Habakkuk says, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on high places. Beloved, I pray that whatever circumstances you're, you're dealing with today, that you look at them in light of the circumstances of others, and that whatever happens in those circumstances, you would be like a Baptist and you'd be like Asaph, and you would give praise and glory to God, because he is the God of your salvation. Let's pray. Father, I pray that we would rejoice in the Lord. I pray that we would take joy in the God of our salvation. That you, O Lord, would be our strength. God, you make our feet like the deer's. You make us tread on high places. God, whatever comes our way, I pray that we would give you thanks forever. From generation to generation to generation, we will recount your praise. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.